I'm, I'm Rosemary Coates at the Reshoring Institute. We are a nonprofit and nonpartisan organization that helps companies bring manufacturing back to the U.S. Today, I'm very excited to, to have my uh, guest, Guy Latendry from UAMI. That's the Utah Advanced Materials and Manufacturing Initiative. He's going to tell us about advanced materials in manufacturing. So welcome, Guy. Oh, thank you. How are you today, Rosemary? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> good. Hey, Guy, let's start off by you telling us a little bit about your background. I know you've been in manufacturing and the business world for a long, long time. Can you give us a little bit of history? Yes. Yeah, so I started, I uh, got a, a, a mechanical engineering degree from Washington State University. And my first real career was in rocket motors, little small rocket motors that eventually evolved into making airbag inflators for a company called Autoleaf, which is the largest automotive safety company in the world. I started there as an engineer, ended up leaving there as vice president of engineering. But during my tenure there, I managed a factory in Amsterdam and one of the largest prototype engineering facilities uh, in the United States. In fact, one of the only engineering groups to win a shingle prize for manufacturing excellence. And then I left Autoleave and worked in the pharma space and solar engineering and high power electronics in various roles from CFO, COO, and international business development. So bringing uh, operation acumen, some engineering, business development, and finance, I've kind of covered a lot of the main aspects of a business and, and joined UAMI about two years ago to help small businesses and large businesses grow in their business, but largely businesses in the advanced manufacturing space, which is some people consider that additive manufacturing and composites, but also as companies employ uh, artificial intelligence and robotics and move their companies forward, we're, we're seeing that more jobs are coming back to the United States as our manufacturing technologies are reducing the dependence on unskilled labor, so to speak, to, to, to grow our economy and become you know, economically independent. That's that's terrific. So uh, and that's exactly where I want to go. I want to talk about these advanced materials and the way UAMI is introducing these materials to companies that can then use them to build products in the U.S. that are competitive in the world market. So give us a little bit of background about UAMI. It's kind of a funny name. And, and tell us about what you do and you know what it's all about. So UAMI was started by a couple of visionaries in 2016 that wanted to grow this industry ecosystem in Utah, uh, largely started around composites. Uh, Utah has a large composites history. Uh, Hexel, Northrop Grumman, Hercules, Thiokol are all big names in composites for national defense, world leaders in a lot of these things. And we wanted to take advantage of, of those companies and the history and the technology that we have here and spread that out to smaller companies. And now we have bicycle companies, archery companies, and smaller companies doing composites here in Utah for aircraft, sporting goods, automotive, things like that for composites. But our advanced manufacturing also includes additive manufacturing or 3D printing. And we actually have a company in here in Utah called uh, Merit 3D. They make millions of parts 
using 3D printing. Now we've seen people do 3D printing for uh, making prototypes and one of a kinds, onesies, twosies, but this is one of the first companies that uses additive manufacturing in manufacturing. And they got started in this because they were a, a sister company made vacuum cleaners and they couldn't get their parts from China. So they started 3D printing them. So they reshored using 3D printing instead of traditional molds uh, to, to reduce cycle time from when they have an idea to when you can start production and reduce tooling costs. Now, molding is very expensive and it has its place in industry, but they're doing really well making parts using additive manufacturing and reshoring at the same time. Uh, that's wonderful news. That's great news. Why why Utah? I'm, I think there's a long background in aerospace in, in Utah in particular and being close to military base. But are there other reasons why Utah is the source for materials or is it just that's where the engineers were to start the company? Well, when you talk about materials themselves, um, there are a lot of critical materials and starting materials here in Utah. Uh, if you go really deep into the supply chain, the lithiums, the cobalts, the vanadiums, the neodymiums, and those, those are all in Utah. But from an advanced manufacturing, which takes these materials, uh, carbon fiber, for example, and moves them forward, a lot of it depends on uh, engineering talent and, and capital and steeped in history since the 50s, the first composite rocket motors were developed here in Utah. So there's a lot of history here. As you mentioned, Hill Air Force Base is here and uh, they maintain all the fighter planes here, the F-16, the F-35, the F-22. And the new Sentinel program is also in Utah, which is the next generation of Minuteman uh, for our national security. It's also a state where we don't have a large, our unemployment rate in Utah is lower than 3% right now. So in order to grow our economy, we have to grow our economy with advanced manufacturing. We're not going to grow it with unskilled work. We just don't have really any unskilled work population That's here a, in Utah. So we have to move forward in, really, in a smart yeah. And that's a really important point because we have a labor shortage all across America, not only in the trucking industry, but in manufacturing overall. We just, you know, if anyone wants a job, they can probably get a job now. Uh, there's essentially full employment. So if we're going to grow manufacturing and we know there's a big uh, manufacturing super cycle that started. Um, the growth rates are um, just, you know, perspective or um, uh, the prospects are that they will skyrocket in terms of growth. Uh, and if that's the case, then we need to figure out how we're going to do that because there just aren't enough people. So this advanced manufacturing is really important. I want to I want to just uh, take a few minutes, though, to explore what are composites, because I, for a long time I was under the impression they were. 3D printing of metal products, but they're not actually metal, right? They're petroleum products. Is that right? Well, the term composite, uh, well, there's there's the technical term of composite and what industry thinks of when we say composites. Uh, composites started back in the early days when people put straw and clay together. And what the straw would do was, was help the clay stick together 
And then the clay helped the straw kind of stick together. So straw and clay or adobe is kind of the first use of composites. So you use what's called a matrix or a glue or something that holds fibers together. Uh, Concrete and rebar is a composite where the rebar adds strength to the concrete. Uh, Today, we think of uh, fiberglass boats are composites. So you have fiberglass, which is long strings of glass that have strength. And then you have uh, glue that holds the fiberglass together to make a boat. Modern composites are carbon fiber composites, and those are today traditionally uh, or uh, petroleum products. So they take a, a, a nylon or a it's pan, and they it's a resin, and then they carbonize it. They put it in a firmness, and then it gets rid of all the non-carbon molecules. And then they graphitize it, which is another super hot furnacing operation with these fibers, and it lines the molecules up to be super strong. And so a carbon fiber looks like threads, very thin threads. And when you put a lot of them together you get what's called a toe or a a yarn-looking thing. And you can weave these yarns into fabrics, or you can put them on a robot then, and the robot can take these toes and place them around like additive manufacturing or wind a a bottle like for a composite gas bottle that you might see for natural gas tanks or hydrogen tanks. And then the carbon fiber also needs a glue or a resin system to hold them together. And so there's multiple manufacturing technologies for composites today. You can weave it into cloth and lay different layers of cloth together to make like a wing of an airplane. You can wind it around a bottle to strengthen a high-pressure gas bottle. Uh, There's robotics now that you can put make 3D parts using additive manufacturing with carbon fiber. The challenge with carbon fiber products today is the their current technologies that are mainly deployed are either very labor intensive, like for airplane wings, or um, not very fast. And so automotive hasn't really adopted carbon fiber yet. And so the the laboratories and companies now are working in advancing manufacturing technologies to use carbon fiber in different ways, uh, injection molding or bulk molding compound technologies to reduce the cycle time so that, you know, if you make a million cars a year, your cycle time for a part has to be less than three minutes or it's not really economical. So it's my understanding that the the carbon fibers are super, super strong and very lightweight. So even stronger yeah. than metals, right? Yeah. So, and so that's, so, yep. So if that's the case, there must be a lot of uses, not, not just the aircraft, obviously, um, because they're always looking for lighter weight materials, but automotive as well. Um, they're always looking for lighter, um, component parts so that the uh, weight of the vehicle is lighter, which improves the fuel economy, right? Um, and if they're stronger and they're crash resistant, that sort of thing, there are all kinds of good reasons why this particular material would be very interesting to in the automotive sector. In trucking also, I would think that, you know, um, chassis and things like that that have, that have uh, um, um, carbon fiber like this, um, components that are um, 
you know, that are put together that are super strong, but still lightweight is going to facilitate weight loads, heavy loads that are transported across the nation. So this is really interesting in terms of advanced materials. Um, I know you said there's aircraft and some other small uses, but there must be a research going on for a lot of different industries. Is that right? That's right. So for automotive, as I mentioned today, while carbon fiber itself is, is relatively expensive, it's like eight to 12 or more. You can pay hundreds of dollars a pound, depending on what specialty of fiber you need. But let's say it's $10 a pound. That, that's pretty expensive compared to fiberglass, which is, you know, a dollar a pound. And so it, you really need extra performance requirements in order to want to use carbon fiber, or you need to reduce the cost of using that manufacturing technique. I forgot the name of the company, and I apologize for that, but there is a company in the Midwest working on a trailer using composites, and composites also have a lower thermal conductivity. So a refrigerator trailer would be lighter, which would reduce fuel consumption, and would have thermal transfer properties much better than aluminum or steel, such that then... A reefer trailer would be would use even less energy to keep it cold and a lighter vehicle. And I apologize, I don't remember the name for that company, but your your audience can Google that. And that's to your point. There are people in the trucking industry looking at reducing the weight and the and the efficiency of their trailers. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it just sounds like a, a winning combination, a stronger kind of material, uh, you know, that is that is. Um, capable of being manufactured, uh, lighter weight, which improves fuel economy, and probably less pollution uh, in developing the, the materials. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why it's good. Now we just have to get the costs down, right? Yep. Yep. It's all about cost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I know uh, Amy is focused on Utah manufacturing, but do you serve nationwide also? If a company came to you, say, from New Jersey and said they wanted help in developing a new product, is that something you would do? Um, yeah, we're, we're largely supported by the state of Utah, but we also have grants from the federal grant uh, from the DOD, the EDA, and the SBA. And nothing makes us happier than the, to help all types of companies. We do have a, a good um group of STEM experts that help companies with technical questions around composites and advanced materials. And we would love to help companies. A real strong thing that we do is introduce people to other people. So we have a national presence and we go to the conferences and we have, uh, you know, a lot of respected partners like IACME, which is a national institute from the Department of Energy and, and things like that. So, yeah, if a company wanted help with advanced manufacturing, they should give us a call. And if we don't know the answer, we know who does, and we'd love to help them out. So you, you actually take public and private funds then for development. Is that correct? Are, are any of the new bills going to give you funds, any of the, the um, Inflation Reduction Act or the Chips and Sciences Act? Uh, or the Infrastructure Act, will any of those provide funding for UAMI or for the kind of research that you're doing in composites? Um, not necessarily the funds will go to UAMI, but we're helping a lot of our partner companies apply for funds. So right now we're working with two companies on the on a critical materials, critical minerals proposal that 
that's being funded through that, through the Department of Energy. There's funds that are going through uh, EDA and SBA and those and those large bills that we're helping companies apply for as well. So that it doesn't necessarily come to UAMI as much as UAMI is aware of these grant opportunities. We make our partner companies aware of them. We help them with their grants, give them technical advice or philosophical advice on how to uh, apply for these grants. And then when they win them, then we help them, you know, execute them to be successful with their grants. Yeah, I, I'm on your mailing list, so I know you do a lot of events. Can you can you talk about some of those events that you offer that are open to the public if someone's interested? Yeah, so we do, um, I would say, two types of events. We do a large events called Crosstalk that we have three of those a year. Uh, one's in the, in, the, in the spring, and we partner with SAMPI, which is an advanced materials processing national organization. We have that here in Utah. It's very STEM-focused on advanced materials, composites, and uh, processing. So that's really STEM-related, and that's in Salt Lake City in in March 20th this year. Uh, and then we have another crosstalk event in May that's targeting around small businesses getting into the aerospace and defense community. So we have a lot of speakers that are from the Air Force, Department of Defense, and then regional entities like UAMI that help small businesses be successful. And we have small businesses uh, present their own technologies at these crosstalks to help with the networking. So a lot of these events are largely networking oriented, but also, you know, informational. And then in the fall, we just finished our critical materials event in Price, Utah. Uh, speakers there, a lot from the Department of Energy and companies that are experts in critical minerals like lithium, batteries, uh, battery technologies, um, things like that, to grow our eastern Utah economy as the coal dependence on coal is diminishing, uh, these communities also have a core competence in mineral processing and mineral extraction. And given that 90% of our critical materials do not come from the United States, there's a real opportunity to move our, our rural communities to get into critical materials uh, industry. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's my understanding that about 80 to 85 percent of the rare earth um, minerals are uh, coming from China right now. Um, not that uh, these minerals aren't found everywhere, but the processing part of it is very um, difficult and pollutes the environment. And even China is processing these minerals up along the Mongolian border in the middle of nowhere um, because there's so much pollution associated with it. But if if China decides to cut off our supply of rare earth elements, we are in bad trouble um, because they are in every electronics uh, uh, device, all defense devices, all kinds of things require these kind of minerals. They're, they go into electronics, into magnets, into things that are industrial products and essential to building products. So, yeah, it's time that we redevelop that whole mining operation in the U.S. so we're not so dependent on foreign uh, imports. Um, I know you um, also uh, support Connects. I always like to call it Connex, but I think it's Connex. Um, yep. <laughs> 
uh, which is a, a startup sort of. Um, I think they've been around for a while now, but um, they were originally started in Utah. That uh, is an interesting platform for suppliers to meet and come together. Can you t- talk to us a little bit about your support for uh, Con- Connects? Yes, so um, I think four years ago, the a lot of our composite industry members like Northrop Grumman, Hexel, and other Boeing is Gen, uh, General Atomics. A lot of these companies were were uh, buying services and and materials outside of the state. And when the state UAMI went to them, that's you know our mission is to grow the ecosystem in the state. So why why are you buying so much from out of state? And they said we don't know who what technologies and what companies are in the state of Utah right now. How can we get a better handle on that? So so UAMI hired a software company. And we went out and we found all these suppliers in the composites industry in Utah. And instead of just putting their company name into the database that was created, we focused on looking at what technologies and process capabilities he had to be more precise to what types of work they can do and less precise on what products they might make. So today, if you wanted to uh, Google white zirconium, you will, you might find companies that sell white zirconium. But if you don't find a supplier that makes white zirconium, if you know how to make white zirconium, you can say, oh, I need these processes in a company. So the searching is on process capability more than it is on products. So as a company, if you want someone that does molding, or spray drying or extruding, and you know what kind of extruder this company might need to make your product, that would be in the database. So from a supply chain perspective, it's more powerful to develop a supply chain knowing what capabilities the suppliers have than it is to, to search on what types of products they make. And, yeah, and that was I very- think, I think- this is so important because as uh, manufacturing was offshoring to, to China, basically, in the two, early 2000s, all the way through about 2015, when it started to reverse a little bit. Uh, but as um, all of that manufacturing was going overseas, so were the suppliers. So in today's environment, if you want to bring manufacturing back, it's quite possible you won't have suppliers in the U.S. They have to be redeveloped. So a platform like this that where you can go and say, I need, well, we had a, we had a client that needed white lithium grease. <laughs> I had no idea yep. what it was, but really difficult to find. And there were no manufacturers left in the U.S. So we had to go and look for manufacturers that were capable of producing it and then work with them to redevelop the production of this this particular commodity. And I think that's the beauty of Connex is it it allows for those kind of connections. I, I heard there was a famous story too uh, um, where Connex um, connected uh, a supplier with a manufacturer that was right down the street. They didn't know each other. They didn't know that uh, this supplier could produce the goods that were required at the manufacturer. They just hooked them up and they were ready to go, which is just fantastic. This yeah, is a, a lot of this these problem with these small manufacturers trying to get the word out that they're capable of doing things, right? Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of these tools you need, you need, both sides. You need people to enter 
their own capability. And a lot of these suppliers are entering the database, their information, hoping that a customer will find them. But eventually they find out that they need suppliers too. And so it, everyone wins with this database. And it's been very popular with uh, ME Manufacturing Extension Partnership Offices are the ones that are uh, taking down the initial license in each state uh, so that their manufacturers can have access to the information uh, themselves. So if, if you're in the audience today, look up your, your local MEP office and ask them about Connects and they can hook you up to access to the database. Guy, this has been so interesting. I, I really appreciate your time today and, and helping us understand a little bit more about uh, the services that you offer at UAMI, as well as the potential opportunity for Connects um, and putting suppliers and manufacturers together for the future uh, of composites in the in the world. I think we're going to see more and more of those as time goes on. So thank you again for joining me as a guest today. Really appreciate it and have a great day. Thank you, Rosemary. It's really nice to talk. Thank you.